Welcome to Podcast on Fire on Comrades, Almost Love Story and Moonlight in Tokyo. Everybody wins, except Leon Lai. But along with uh, Maggie Chung, uh, he appears in the 1996 romance classic Comrades Almost a Love Story, so that's a win in a way. Uh, also, on the streets of Tokyo, a mentally challenged Leon Lai is looking for his brother and finds a childhood friend played by Chapman Toe. And it's not as sugary as you think. Uh, that film is uh, 2005's Moonlight in Tokyo from the writers of Infernal Affairs. Writers. Uh, granted, that, that uh, our co-director, Andrew Lau, that you might have heard of, he actually produced uh, Moonlight in Tokyo. I, I had forgotten about that. So it's a little bit of an Infernal Affairs joint, but it's the writers that direct the wild Moonlight in Tokyo. My name is Kenny B. I have my rubber ducky at the ready. And with me is Phil G of Eastern Film Fans, who hopefully will pick up on that uh, reference from the second movie I just talked of. It had duckies uh, across the film. <laughs> Thank you. I actually thought you were referring to me as Rubber Ducky then, but no, it's good to be. Uh, it's good to be back. Phil, Phil, Rubber Ducky G. <laughs> Phil, Rubber Ducky G. The man in the house is a bit of a Rubber Ducky. <laughs> I'm looking forward to this one, Ken. I'm excited for this episode. Very, very, very excited. This is the acclaim acclaimed section of Leon Lai's uh, sort of career mm. that you know yes. his acclaim comes and goes as we have demonstrated we haven't liked all the films so obviously no. uh, we I've liked one film you haven't liked one film we've had uh, we have we have differed but the, 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 this is the episode with uh, the most acclaim uh, directed to uh, to Leon so um, and and, and so the, uh, you know certainly mainstream acclaim and some little bit uh, under the radar acclaim Moonlight in Tokyo is this uh, little on the fringe film I think yeah, still um, I think it's uh, I think it was a little bit too weird for for people back then to sort of log into their permanent memories of Leon Lai films, uh, despite having the Infernal Affairs uh, tag attached to yeah. it. But it obviously isn't, uh, uh, you know, it isn't Infernal Affairs 4. Far from it. Um, so uh, there, there, were no, um, there were no mentally challenged, challenged gigolos in Infernal Affairs. So, you know, <laughs> that's how it differs. Anyway, this is the Leon Lai Actors series where we uh, across nine film reviews and these are the fifth and sixth reviews. Uh, we'll determine whether he's any good or not. We were given that verdict of the lie or by good or bad. Uh, so um, if you want to catch up on the films that we've done so far and our uh, different views on them, we haven't shared our views on them, as I said, check out the episodes uh, in the archive of Fruit Punch or on Fruit Punch, Wicked City. The live action um, Wicked City, and the episode where we covered Fun and Fury and With or Without You. So that was a little bit action tinted coming from Leo Lai and uh, all the co conspirators on those films, those films uh, Jackie Chung and uh, Frankie Chan, uh, Ken Cheng, and what have you. But uh, here we are with Comrades, Almost a Love Story, and Moonlight in Tokyo. And we're going to get going uh, really quickly. It's a big episode. So uh, for all your Podcast on Fire network needs, uh, go to podcastonfire.com. Uh, check out uh, the social media links on the site, but uh, we are available uh, uh, with uh, primarily a discussion group on Facebook. We're on Twitter at Podcast on Fire, same on Instagram. And uh, you can uh, find us and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts uh, and uh, stream us on Stitcher Radio and uh, Spotify and all that good stuff. I'm going to throw over to Phil. I think we talked about this last episode, but it's an ongoing series. So uh, random plugs uh, out of all your projects. Uh, what's your... Um, unpacking youtube series about and what is it called oh <laughs> yeah i mean so yeah it's some film fans <clears throat> it's now on uh, youtube where well, it's been for a while but um i've got a, a new series called what's in the box what's in the box ken what's in the box it's not a trademarked uh, term thankfully <laughs> you know a few years ago there was a um, 
unboxing of toy shows that starred Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes, but they, they're they not doing that anymore. Plus, I don't think you can copyright that term. So you, you go ahead with what's well, in the box. Well, I'm So, uh, no, I'm not starting. It's completely original, Ken. So uh, what's in the box? <laughs> um, but yes, so we, we unveil. Uh, we don't tell you what it is. Uh, that's that's the kicker. So uh, you need to you need to tune in to find out what we're going to unbox. Um, but it's usually the delights of Hong Kong cinema on lovely, shiny Blu-ray discs um, that we reveal. And some even of our own commentaries um, are on those uh, discs, Ken. Oh, so it's a self-serving uh, video show. It is indeed. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it helps. By the time you, by the time uh, listeners are on there, it will be out there. And I would expect that I'm the Run will be out there, which is one of our favorite ones that we've done. Plug, plug. Go and watch it on um, YouTube. And go and buy the film because it's fantastic for those people. And there are some people that have never seen Yumbio in probably one of his greatest roles ever. Um, and that's on lovely shiny 88 Films disc. And he's got a commentary by us, so feel free to check that out. So, yeah, th- there's all that going on as well on YouTube on Eastern Film Fans. So, yeah, much, much fun. Indeed. On the Run is the latest uh, one at the time of rele- uh, at the time of recording that's been released on, on uh, UK Blu-ray. And uh, Iceman Cometh is uh, coming up um, uh, sometime during the fall. Uh, I've forgotten uh, which date because uh, there are a couple of delays, production delays. We're still- yeah, I think it's 12th of December now as far as I'm aware. Um, it's pushed back a little bit, but... Yeah, look forward to that one. It's going to be excellent. So check that out. Links are in the show post. Let's uh, hit the music break. Um, there, We're going to go into the Comrades Almost a Love Story section quite quickly. But there is a little thing we're supposed to do first. And I'll explain that after the music break. So listen to uh, the classic Teresa Tang song that uh, most people know. I'm certainly not super familiar with it. But we're going to we're gonna let that lead us into the, the episode on Leon Lai where, where acclaim happens. It's been a little bit uh, uh, bumpy. <laughs> a bumpy ride in terms of acclaim. Finally, acclaim comes his way and they will be back uh, in 30 seconds or so. And welcome back. And the thing is, th- there is a, another movie that should be part of the discussion. An award-winning film. An award-winning film for Leon. But the thing is, we've already done, not you and I, me and Kevin Ma, have already done a full podcast episode on this. And it is the short movie, Free Going Home. But I wanted Phil to watch it. To gain uh, the context to sort of gain an appreciation or maybe dislike for the fact that uh, why the hell would they give him an award for this? You know, you never know. Uh, but uh, it needed to be part of the discussion. So I'm going to r- run through briefly what Free Going Home was. We're not going to do a shared review. I'm going to listen to Phil's thoughts and I'm going to might ask some questions, you know. Uh, so uh, look up the show uh, that uh, this um, is on. Uh, the show also features a discussion and review of the animated film my life as McDull, of a little uh, sweet um, uh, piggy and his um, Hong Kong adventure. So we did that and free going home the same episodes um, episode. I, I won't uh, do a repeat of all my views here, other than to say I'm a fan of free 
going home as this mix of horror and drama. But what it was, was uh, it's a short film. It runs about an hour though. And it's the last segment in the anthology film Free, released in 2002. That also featured the shorts The Wheel by Thai director Nonsi Nimbutter and South Korea's Kim Ji-Woon of A Tale of Two Sisters fame. He gave us the short Memories. Uh, I believe it came out before A Tale of Two Sisters. So it's a little horror exercise, I suppose. Uh, this anthology film was followed up with Free Extremes, featuring shorts by Korea's Park Chan-wook, Old Boy, Super Fifth Mr. Vengeance, Takashi Miike, Each of a Killer and so forth, and Hong Kong's Fruit Chan, did uh, dumplings. Uh, Park Chan-wook did a, a short called Cut. Takashi Miike's short was called Box. Very strange, but also very alluring. And Fru Chan did dumplings, um, starring Miriam Young and uh, Bai Ling and Tony Lankafai. What happened when uh, Free Extremes kind of hit, because uh, it made much more of an imprint than the first three, was that the first three was released afterwards as Free Extremes 2 in various territories. And I believe that's how Tartan in the UK released it. They, they did Extremes first and then put out this second, but they put a two, uh, two next to it. Three Extremes 2. So if you look up a DVD, that's how, how you're going to find it. Going back to Going Home, it was extended by a few minutes, uh, and that was enough to make it eligible for award season, and it won a couple. Uh, best New Artist, uh, going to actress Eugenia Yuan. She's the daughter of Cheng Peipei of Come Drink With Me fame. That was at the 22nd uh, Hong Kong Film Awards, where it had 10 nominations, including a Best Actor nomination for Leon Lai. He lost to uh, Little Tony, Tony Leung, uh, who won for Infernal Affairs. So that was the year of Infernal Affairs, where he dominated the awards ceremony. So even with 10 nominations, free going home you know probably didn't stand a chance uh, infernal affairs was such a momentous thing for hong kong cinema it turned so many things around uh, so it was a you know a showing for uh, multiple awards including best picture anyway where leon live finally won though uh, was at the taiwanese golden horse awards where leon live was awarded best actor for his performance in this short horror drama film going home and um uh, well deserved. But I'm going to throw over to Phil uh, to uh, check in uh, what, what his uh, opinion in general was of uh, Free Going Home. And I might as well ask, uh, did you take away uh, like the horror mostly from it or did you take away the dramatic components uh, from it mostly? You know, I, I think that's what the, the great thing is about it. The, the, that kind of horror drama, the few and far between that are done well, by the way, that are done well. So morphing those two together um, is fantastic because two of my other favourite genres of films. And and I think I took the, the drama away from it rather than the, the horror because Leon is fantastic. It's a fantastic performance by me. He deserved all the plaudits for it. It's, it's a little how deep is your love story. He, his wife is dead, seemingly, and he takes care of a um, corpse. It's, it's clever in the way and the character, and it takes an actor to deliver something like that and the faceted layers that it has to deliver to create what is essentially is at the first glance a monster but then as the the layers are peeled away it's it's you know there's a there's a love story underneath it and there's for those that haven't seen it and we won't spoil it and stuff there's a nice dramatic kind of um change of pace towards the end as well where your whole head spins around and goes oh wow really Oh my god! Oh, and then your head goes a different one goes, and then you feel that oh, you feel that sorrow for him. You feel that underneath that this this is like a this ambience of a haunting ambience about the film and stuff. 
and he takes it a different way towards the last few minutes. It's a fantastic performance by Leon, I have to say. Very um, very internalized, and then there yes. are moments when that rage uh, comes out. Most memorably, uh, he he has kidnapped uh, Eric Zhang's uh, police officer to keep all of this, uh, caring for his seemingly dead wife uh, under wraps. But uh, Eric Zhang sits um, tied up um, in a bathtub. He has his arms, um, hands behind his head. He gets a reaction out of Leon, gets him mad. And, you know, it just comes not right out of nowhere, but it's, you know, it's simmering, it's simmering and then, you know, smashes that beer bottle, which doesn't sound like a pivotal scene, but it's quite real. It's quite well played. And Eric Tsang is supposed, he, he's in control of that situation. So he doesn't react to that. Doesn't say, oh my God, stop shouting at me. No, he, he knew we got him. And I think that that's one of the moments where Leon has proven himself as an actor uh, before, but certainly here. I think it's a, it's a fair point, isn't it? Because and I think with these series, which is really great, what we do, we we take the films, we take the the acts, and we look at them and stuff. And then usually, what happens is there's a moment where we go, God, they can act. Once they're given the the right film, this is one of those films. If you you know, you thought, oh, Leon couldn't. You you well, I mean, this episode in its entirety. Let's face it. Um, with all the films we're about to um, delve into. But for this one, yeah, it's fantastic in the role and, and deserved all the plaudits. There's no pop star vanity on display in any no. of the films uh, here. And um, yeah, I, I know Kevin Ma had a little bit of a problem with how hard director Peter Chan and uh, director of photography Christopher Doyle pushed the horror aspects initially. But, but I, I, I always thought like, yeah, it's over the top, but it adds ambience. And then yeah. you, when you get into the calmer aspects of the story, there, there's no need to push like no. that to establish uh, that atmosphere, but um, but yeah, it's it's certainly uh, it certainly is uh, one of those um, uh, those uh, gems. And uh, as a short, it it certainly works as a, as a short movie. It doesn't need to be shorter. Doesn't need to be longer either. Yeah. No, it's fantastic. Excellent. Let's uh, go over to the main components of the show. And first up is Comrades Almost a Love Story from 1996 and plot from Letterboxd. Uh, the character of Liu Xiao Jun, played by Leo Lai, arrives in Hong Kong from mainland China, hoping to be able to earn enough money to marry his girlfriend uh, back home. He meets the streetwise Li Chao, played by Maggie Cheung, and they become friends. As friendship turns into love, problems develop, and although they seem meant for each other, they somehow keep missing out. Hence, almost a love story. So this was the big winner at the 16th Hong Kong Film Awards, taking home a massive amount of uh, Hong Kong Film Awards uh, statuettes, nine of them, including Best Picture, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor, Screenplay, Cinematography, etc. And while Leon had to make do with a Best Actor nomination, uh, he uh, did uh, lose uh, to... um, Kent Cheng uh, for his performance in the cop drama The Log, also starring uh, Michael Wong. It's a fair loss, I have to say. I've seen The Log, and Kent Cheng is uh, phenomenal in it. Uh, so uh, that's uh, that's a sort of quip from the beginning that everybody wins except Leon. But uh, you know, uh, he won uh, with Peter Chan later in free as we uh, as we talked of. Uh, Going into the background of it all, though, setting up that it was a big award winner, it's said that Peter Chan's film, uh, uh, because the Chinese title of Comrades comes from one of her songs, is considered a love poem to the memory of singer Teresa Teng. 
or Teresa Tang. And throughout the film, the plot makes uh, numerous references uh, to her, and it really acts as a crucial element in scenes as well. Uh, she was a Taiwanese singer and actress. She was dubbed and referred to as Asia's eternal queen of pop, and became uh, this uh, icon for her contributions to Mando pop, and uh, her impact gave birth to the saying, wherever there are Chinese people, there is the music of Teresa Tang. It's said in the movie as well. Uh, her song, Chan Mimi, um, if I'm mispronouncing that, I apologize. That the Chinese title of the film refers to is a 1979 Mandarin Chinese song released as a single from the album Your Sweet Smile. Why wouldn't you pick up an album called Your Sweet Smile? We're, we're, we're that old, Phil. They were, they were like, oh, like it's harmless. <laughs> In our teens, we would be like, like oh, that's, that's dorky. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I would pick up that in a heartbeat. Your, your sweet smile. You know, there was quite the turbulence leading up to the creation of this very popular and famous song, Chan Mimi. So, you know, it's a, it's a famous song both in mainland China and within the overseas Chinese community. So a little bit of background about uh, that sort of controversy and leading up to the creation of that song. In 1978, uh, Teresa Tang toured Southeast Asia and produced an Indonesian language cover of the popular song Dayong Sampan. The year after, she was actually arrested in Japan and deported to Hong Kong for using an Indonesian passport. And this led to, obviously, a worry about possible consequences, possible punishments in Taiwan. And she couldn't permanently remain in Hong Kong either or return to Japan. So Teresa had a little bit of a choice to do. And in this case, she went to America and enrolled at the University of Southern California. And somewhere around this point, though, she uh, actually had a contractual obligation to fulfill. So that Indonesian language cover... Dayong Sampan received Chinese lyrics from a Taiwanese songwriter Shuang Nu and Tian Mimi was born. And obviously, we this is not the place for a full bio on Teresa Tang, but she did die quite young at uh, only 42 in 1995, so around the time this film was uh, obviously uh, made and released. A cause of death has put, been put down as a severe asthma. She, she had like bouts of respiratory um, issues uh, starting earlier in the year of 1995. And there's also speculations that lean towards uh, that, that she might have taken an overdose of um, unspecified amphetamines. But uh, the family declined an autopsy to be, to be performed. So obviously this is all up in the air as far as I know and just speculation. So we're not going to... Uh, we, we're not going to put forth any theories about that. But it was undeniable, that impact of her, because, um, you know, when she was living, and certainly when she passed, uh, her, her appeal was felt all throughout uh, Asia, and she received the largest state-sponsored funeral in Taiwanese history. Uh, if that's changed, I don't know. But uh, it was at that time, anyway, second only to ROC leader Chiang Kai-shek. And over 200,000 people lined up outside the funeral home waiting... Uh, to be there for the singer's last um, farewell, to uh, to bid their farewell. The funeral was broadcast on television in many Asian countries, as well as on radio. So, yeah, talk about impact. Uh, but, but it's only a snapshot of her um, history, her life, and uh, perhaps we'll go into detail some other time. But her wiki is certainly packed. Um, her, her life was very documented, if you will. Uh, director Peter Chan of Comrades Almost a Love Story gave a little perspective on Teresa Tang's impact, why the song was chosen, saying, quote, if you made Comrades in America, it would probably take place in the 1970s and um, the end of the film uh, would be uh, the death of uh, John Lennon. That, that's how important Teresa Tang was. Um, so that, that puts things into perspective. Back to uh, the performance of uh, Peter Chan's film, Award Darling, but that doesn't always mean uh, 
uh, mainstream appeal necessarily, but uh, it did gross 15.5 million Hong Kong dollars when released at the beginning of November that uh, that year. But uh, it wasn't enough to crack the top 10 actually, despite the number of 15.5 sounding quite um, quite solid. And at the top of the box office uh, that year, we had Jackie Chan's first strike at a whopping 57 million. That is quite high. His appeal was still uh, strong there with those films. Um, it was followed by Stephen Chow's God of Cookery and Forbidden City Cop at the number two and number three spots. So Stephen Chow obviously had a hold on the box office still in the 90s. And the first three, yes, first three Young and Dangerous films all made the top ten that year. They cranked those out, for better or worse, they cranked those films out with Ekin and The Gang. Some other tid- tidbits... Um, Apparently, it seems like a mild film that won't ruffle feathers, Phil, but apparently it got some pushback and restrictions for its mainland Chinese release back in the day. But these restrictions, however mild they were, were lifted in 2015 when it got a re-release in in China. And to celebrate this, uh, Chinese singer and actor Lu Han, that um, you might have seen... uh, uh, all of you and you obviously feel in the Great Wall with Matt Damon, directed by <laughs> directed by Shang Yimou. I don't remember his specific role, but I remember a funny press conference um, with Andy Lau and uh, Matt Damon in China, where the moderator was sort of talking about um, you know if maybe fans had showed up, and Matt Damon said, "Well, not for me, for him, for Luhan. Like they're, they're devoted to him. Like forget about me. I'm I'm sort of the old guy here with uh, with the fake ponytail, but." Uh, uh, so that's the uh, impact of uh, of a young of a young star, you know. They weren't even showing up for Andy Lau in in in, in as the, the you know as grave a volume, I think by that point. But I think Andy Lau is happy with that. I think he's fine with that. He's had his run, you know. He, they they don't need to deliver like twenty metric ton containers of flowers for Andy <laughs> Lau, you know. <laughs> Do you remember what? Do you remember back with uh, the Great Wall? What, what you know? It's controversy beforehand. Like, oh, white man comes in to save the day, and then it turned out to be this uh, B movie. Really, it was a monster movie. It was a weird one, wasn't it? Yeah, there was a lot of controversy around it. I mean, it's like see if it's magnified today and stuff with everybody saying, you know, that person can't play this part and that can't. And that was like that was the start of it. That was kind of one of the first ones that said, no, you can't play that. Yeah, it was. Um, it was a strange one. That one didn't really. Uh, didn't as a film wise, it didn't really. Uh... I mean, it's not uh, Zhang Yimou's best, but I thought it was a good uh, B movie, a big, yeah, big old monster. Just, movie. Yeah, like I say, it was a good movie. It probably expectation was it was going to be better than it was. Um, probably do a revisit. To be honest, I'd probably like to pick it up again and watch it. But yeah, it was. Uh, it was okay. One of those few times I've had a chance to see Andy Lau on the big screen because it did play locally here, so that was kind of neat. Anyway, um, Luhan, uh, uh, the actor and singer in uh, The Great Wall, he recorded a new version of uh, Chan Mimi for uh, Comrades Almost a Love Story 2015 re-release in China. Uh, the New Yorker wrote about the, uh, the restrictions that I talked about in the initial release back in the day um, in a piece about uh, Teresa Tang and the song. So, quote, earlier this year, the Chinese government finally lifted its restrictions on Hong Kong director Peter Chan's 1996 film Comrades Almost a Love Story. Uh, insofar as censorship ever makes uh, for sound cultural policies, uh, the reasons for blocking Comrades, a star-driven romantic comedy about two Chinese immigrants who venture to Hong Kong and the United States, seem especially joyless. Its offences are slight, couched in minor differences of speech and habit, and even the most ideological viewer would be hard-pressed to interpret uh, this film as an 
aggressively political film. So, um, so yeah, and, you know, at least they lifted it and they realized, well, there's nothing here really. So exactly. Uh, Peter Chan was interviewed at the time of the film's U.S. release, um, and uh, that previously unpublished interview was presented by the South China Morning Post in 2021. So we we had some kind of making off notes to take in. And he talked of depicting characters ripped from their roots and depicting the last 10 years of great British colonial rule in a way. It doesn't go all the way up to 1997 and, and the visualization of the handover, but it certainly is leading up to it. And he clearly wanted to get away from the depiction of mainlanders in Hong Kong films, often depicted as hicks and hillbillies in his words. And uh, he cast Leon Lai as someone who is from China and a bona fide screen icon. Uh, well, rather, he cast Leon Lai because he is from China and a bona fide screen icon in the form of Maggie Chung. Sorry, Leon. Uh, but, you know, it's Maggie. He talks of um, the different places Leon and Maggie were as actors too. Uh, he was a teen idol who had not really been tested, and I think that's fair. Even at this, at this point, he had not really been tested. Fruit Punch, I don't think, was this uh, breakthrough vehicle that stayed with everybody, where everyone knew, aha, he's good. Um, it was a small film. Really, I mean, we like it in retrospect, but um, I, I think Pete is right. He had not been tested as such. And Maggie, as you well know, Phil, had a terrific 90s, having done serious work and received major acclaim for her acting during the decade, whether working with uh, Wong Kar Wai or not. Um, uh, so the pair-up was a bit odd it, uh, in, in the eyes of uh, audiences and uh, critics and journalists. And media asked, why these two? Why were they cast? Why were they put together? But in Peter's words, I knew what I could get out of Leon. I was very convinced about that. But ironically, he said that he wasn't convinced about Maggie. He, he wanted someone from China. And he had approached uh, Fei Wong uh, from uh, Chungking Express. Uh, but she turned the role down. And, and in Peter Chan's words, I had no one else to turn to but Maggie. Um, he thought she didn't fit being a city girl raised in both Hong Kong and uh, London in real life. But as he also said, if you can't get somebody from China, you get the best. So, you know, so he's not slamming her abilities at all, but uh, he was honest about, I, 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 want, I want slight more genuine feeling, uh, uh, like a Chinese root here, a mainland Chinese root here. So why not ask Fei Wong? But, uh, but yeah, he couldn't get her. Uh, he observed that she was much more relaxed and confident as an actress by this point in the 90s, Maggie Chung. And I think he might refer back to experiences earlier in the decade when he directed... Alan and Eric between Hello and Goodbye, this uh, melodrama with her, Alan Tam, and Eric Tsang. So, uh, and, and I think that's also fair as, as you follow Maggie from Police Story and onwards, and then five, six years later, she's getting these meteor roles. You can see that she is transforming before your very eyes from, from the pouty Maggie Chung in Police Story that uh, always gets uh, not in trouble, but she's. Uh, she always gets like devastatingly mistreated <laughs> you know <laughs> even in police story free she can't catch a break but um but yeah and uh finally i suppose i want to let peter chance talk some more because uh, comrades um could only happen if peter fulfilled other demands placed on him so this is a longer quote but i think it's very telling of how comrades came to be and um uh, what obligations he had to fulfill so quote 
I was very uptight and nervous during uh, He's a Woman, She's a Man, the comedy he directed with Leslie Cheung and Anita Yoon. Because I'm, I'm trying to make a slapstick comedy that makes sense and is grounded in reality. You never know where the line is. A lot of times you have to guess. And even when it's out in the theaters, you still don't know. The audience might laugh and then walk out of the theater saying, it's so stupid. And, and um, it, it's hard to make a comedy that makes sense. Uh, you don't have to worry about all that with comrades. It's not a comedy. It's a straight story, an emotional piece. And all you need to do is look back at your life and your experiences and the people you have talked to. It's something that you already know. And there's only one way to do it. Uh, what I'm trying to say is that it's easier to make a personal film. It really is. Uh, I had no pressure in terms of how the audience would react uh, uh, but the only reason that I, that I got to make Comrades is because I agreed to do a sequel to He's a Woman, She's a Man. We, we had to push that out for summer. It's one of those uh, uh, scheduled things where you just have a month and a half uh, to shoot. And there's nothing you can do with those uh, star vehicles other than to just do it. Everyone's gathered up, you know. And I told the studio I wouldn't do the sequel to uh, He's a Woman, She's a Man unless you give me the money to do a small movie on, on the side. And that was Comrades. And the funny thing is, they never thought Comrades would do anything in terms of the, the box office. But in terms of the investment, it did much better than the sequel to He's a Woman, She's a Man. And obviously, it uh, did well uh, critically and at the fi- Hong Kong Film Awards. So that's very, uh, very telling. Peter Chan is one of those uh, Hong Kong filmmakers that it's easy to forget that he, uh, he made a Hollywood film. I think he did a movie called The Love Letter. It's a comedy, a romantic comedy. I think Ellen DeGeneres is in it. Uh, he uh, did that at the end of the 90s, early 2000s. Had not seen it. I don't think he did well at all. And then he came back and um, started doing the likes of Free, and uh, producing Free and uh, directing Free. But yeah, he's one of those uh, Hong Kong filmmakers. You, you, you forget that he did one because um, normally Hong Kong filmmakers meant other genres than uh, making, com- making comedies. You know? But Peter Chan wasn't a, um, an action director. So they 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 like they didn't give him a Jean Claude vehicle, right? Like we love <laughs> Comrade, we love it so much. What do you think of Jean Claude Van Damme? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just the usual. Yeah, I can imagine. No, yeah, it's probably but, uh, probably. but 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 it was more timely to have John John Woo and Choi Hak do and Ringo Lam do uh, Jean Claude vehicles back in the midpoint in the 90s you know so anyway that's the background on comrades i'm gonna leave um uh, uh, i'm gonna leave i'm done but uh, i'm gonna <laughs> let <laughs> but background is enough right views on the film nah that, that's not what we're here to do i want phil to tell us a, a short opinion of comrades almost a love story uh, before we do the back and forth and so forth so so what did you think of it it was fantastic um guilty of never seen it before i've seen it i heard about it um, it's one of those it just not got round to, to watching it and it was fantastic as a film in its entirety. There is so much to love about film, so much to speak about because every every nearly there's those scenes, there's so many scenes that are just beautiful to watch. It encompasses a whole story from beginning to end. It's an it's an epic romance for anybody that loves a romance. It is an epic. That's that's for sure, without a shadow of a doubt. It's a it's a fantastic film. Um, Leon smashes it out the park as well. From from that point of view, looks comfortable as an actor. Looks natural and all of that. All that is yeah, because you know this is the because uh, it, it is an epic and it spans 
a period of time, he has to change as a character to do that as well. And you, and you get that and you get that portrayal from both Maggie and from Leon. And without those two stepping up to the plate, it could have been, you know, just a wishy-washy, just another love story. But it was so, so much more than that. Yeah, it's it's a very special movie. Very much so. And I, I, I think it speaks to... Hong Kong, I mean, like Chinese people, um, you know, how the eras that we go through, you know, mid 80s to mid mid uh, 90s, how it differs in terms of seeking wealth or saving up in Hong Kong, you know, that's a drive, that's a motivation for characters. And then I eight, nine, ten, ten years later, there is this uh, subtext in the film, I suppose that uh, Hong Kong and mainland China and people change, you know, they witness change. So the script can flip uh, in terms of what your motivation is and where you have to go. So I think that's there, but um, in a poignant way even for for other people, not not necessarily me. I, 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 I'm, I'm not Chinese, obviously, so I, I can't relate to this as much. But the point is, Comrades, almost a love story, is when all is said and done, like this heartfelt, engaging, again, long-lasting, not because it's two hours, but long-lasting, almost romance uh, with this well-cast pairing for this story purpose. Uh, and Maggie... You know, <clears throat> pardon me. I'm getting choked up already. <laughs> no, something in my throat. A frog in my throat. Uh, I, I think, you know, when you look at it beforehand, like Maggie's going to run laps around Leon. And yes, she can and she does, but he holds his own, mm. you know, near perfectly, really. Um, she's a cinematic icon, you know, uh, and even though she is that, it's an engaging character portrait. You know, you, you're not stuck there watching, like, singer iconic actress singer iconic actress like you you get engaged in this uh, uh, in this character story lasting uh, nine or ten years or so it, it never really flirts with comedy even though it's quoted as romantic comedy he's a little bit bumbling entering hong kong but it's not screwball stuff here with the ignorant mainlander because um peter wanted to get away from that and certainly the script by ivy ho reflects this uh, as well and uh, then you know Leon goes up the escalator at the beginning of the film into the bright lights of Hong Kong and he's wide-eyed and insecure he's a little bit lost in the languages so fantastic isn't that a fantastic shot though in it that 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 just of that escalator just that one shot yeah the movie the movie opens in black and white so yeah and it's know. black and white it's just beautiful the way it's shot it's just it's like it's just about to tell a story and he's going to come up into this world and stuff and you're going to follow this character so and he and and it's fantastic and and for anybody that's not seen the film, play close attention to the beginning of the film because um the reference will be at the end of the film as well, which um you'll get. Um but yeah, it's it's fantastic. The book ends of the film and I love the way that just kind of starts out. It's a fantastic uh, And and, and they do the um transition from Mandarin to Cantonese, uh, because he doesn't know Cantonese and across the film he does learn it and he has to learn it so this is how it starts out that he he's lost in the languages he doesn't speak um, when he meets his auntie or tries to speak with the person at the door he can't uh, make himself uh, understood that uh, no my auntie lives here you know I I said that well there are no real comedic beats there is one very funny comedic beat uh, uh, Leon doesn't do voiceover he reads out uh, the letters he writes home to us so he says that uh, like I, I got a room and the toilet is nearby. I don't need to leave it. And Pete, and Peter then shows two nasty sinks, meaning that Leon can get up in the night and uh, pee in the sink. Later they do dishes in that sink, which uh, made me kind of grossed out. But you know, <laughs> but it never like signals comedy. It's, it's gentle, you know. The, the the gentle score signals that. Uh, but 
I, I found him charming. He's, he, he, he is in people's space. He's kind of bothersome. But uh, but I did find him charming, and he has a good attitude. He wants to immerse himself. But but yeah, there are some further beats. You remember the scene at um, at the arcade where he's bothering this rando that uh, keeps <laughs> keeps playing uh, the arcade, and he's like cheering him <laughs> on and stuff like that. Like, yeah, like... Exactly. <laughs> and I find Leon being very good at this wide-eyed, sort of like almost uh, like he's twelve years old and experiences uh, this for the first time, which he is. But he he looks uh, like he's. Uh, Fresh off, uh, fresh off the boat in a way. Although it yeah, arrives by train. Spontaneous question. I mean, you you love Maggie from the action films and such, but um, you know, how, how's your experience been, if any, with the sort of dramatic works that she's done, whether Wong Kar Wai or you know, watching Center Stage or what have you, or the later films uh, with uh, like in the mood for love. Like, uh, do, do you remember offhand if uh, you, you watch Maggie dramatically, or it's been mainly the action films? No, no, dramatically as well. I mean, you know, I I know you're not so much a fan of you know, kind of on car ways and stuff but in the mood for love and stuff it's another one you know she just takes your breath away it's it's you know you could sit and watch her for hours i could watch her just eat toast you know um i don't know where that came from just... you, you you can watch her uh serve people at mcdonald's as you yeah go. i could watch her serve people at mcdonald's i would do that leon and rush to the front of the queue to get served a uh, hamburger and uh yeah i would do that because she's fantastic yeah so i don't i've never pigeoned a hole uh, in those kind of like action movies yes that's why i was first introduced because it was like police stories probably where i saw i, I can't imagine me anywhere else and stuff but i'd all if from there you know my love for her as an actress grew and stuff and like i say the pinnacle of that for me will always be in the mood for love i think because just um just just fantastic it just wells me up now thinking about it it's a Fantastic piece. But yeah, as, as an actress, you can understand why Peter Chen, because, you know, if you want the best, you are the best. And she, you know, certainly was was the best. Yeah, she uh, she is lovely. And uh, we were transitioning to that sort of sweet rom mild com setup uh, as they meet, because it's the counter boy meets the city girl who was a counter girl. And they, she helps him along the way, and they become friends. She, she's a little bit of a scam artist, but not not fairly, uh, fairly evil or anything. But that's the drive of the film. Like uh, you, you can get subtext out of many things that occur even in the beginning, but the the drive of the film is their interactions, and uh, they're both immersed in their parts. We're not looking at uh, pop stars or icons, so it's um, I'm, I'm having trouble taking my eyes off the screen because of the engaging character interaction and uh, you know and it, it's just simply lovely to watch her ride his bike and them singing at one point uh, or, or it's playing on the soundtrack the Teresa Tang song so it's it's hard not to sort of think you know it is very charming to see them uh, to see them together as and, and, and they're clearly friends as well they're not doing the uncomfortable romantic stuff uh, yet they're, they're simply helping each other uh, out by the way speaking of in the mood for love it's cinematographer christopher doyle he acts in he's in this film i know he's shocked he's like is that christopher doyle play pl- plays an english teacher and of course he drinks in his first scene like i i love chris but he's sort of a self-admitted functioning alcoholic two thousand percent honest madman and he's a genius yeah, he's a fucking <laughs> genius but it's like his first scene glug 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 <laughs> 
like I've seen, uh, um, there were at least one documentary that followed him around during his daily uh, daily life, and they, you know, look, 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 and then speaks his mind. But he's often on point, and he's a genius cinematographer, not just for Wong Kar Wai. Uh, you know, shooting hero and uh, things like that. So, uh, but yeah, Chris Doyle they brought in for nearly a supporting a supporting role here. He's in three or four scenes. Yeah, it's a fair few scenes, and a poignant scene as well at one point. Um, and yeah, we brought in um, and uh, he, he does all right as well, bless him. But yeah, it was kind of a shock. Like, well, I'm sure that's yeah, it is. So uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, it's quite good. And he wasn't the film's um, uh, cinematographer. The film's cinematographer was Jingle Ma, uh, who uh, obviously carved out a career as director. A career I'm not that uh, much of a fan of, to be honest. Uh, but uh, he did those uh, Tokyo Raiders, Soul Raiders uh, films, uh, Fly Me to Polaris, and, um, and uh, things like that. Uh, directed um, Silverhawk for, um, for and with Michelle Yeoh. It's a very key scene where they sell uh, Teresa Tang merch together mm. which is probably bootleg merch but hey <laughs> um, and there, here's where I, re- I, I think it's a great turning point for the movie because um, they talk of that uh, you, you know, if, if you want to immerse yourself and become one, a little bit more one with Hong Kong and shed your mainland roots you don't openly uh, sell or embrace Teresa Tang music you it, it's they're, they're convinced of themselves that that won't work in 1980s hong kong to be that blatant about you know having that fandom even you know you 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 need to save up you need to you know adjust to hong kong life a hong kong way and uh and that depresses them quite a bit that there's a scene where they where they drink milk uh, milk out of a store together and it really doesn't uh Look, it really doesn't seem comfortable for them to think of the notion to shed their mainland sensibilities and their roots necessarily. But that's an example of that flips ten years later, because then people go back to the mainland instead. There's where we are, where opportunities are. There's where we opportunities to save are, um, and it's it's interesting to see how they uh, how they sort of uh, is the quiet tension. You know, between them, and uh, what I love especially is that a lot of these things, whatever, whether you thought of them or not, takes place in simple, static two shots from Jingle Ma. It's just about talking back and forth, and no real anxiousness in the cinematography, and that's where the actors shine. You 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 kind of mesmerize just looking at them talking, if you know what I mean. And it's a, it's a wonderful scene, and unfortunately, there was there was a line in it that got me every time. Um, when somebody comes up to him and says, "Have you got Alan Tam's greatest hits?" Of this is a <laughs> Teresa Tang booth. Get out of here! <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, but you're right. As the scene and stuff is uh, wonderfully shot. But uh, yeah, we had that in, which was. Uh, but in actual fact, it's the it's the next scene which I found um, even even better. It was the dressing of Maggie Chung, but in actual fact, it was really like undressing her. It was done in that kind of way. It was oh, very so clever. beautifully staged. Uh, it looks choreographed, or if it, if it's spontaneous, the actors did a hell of a job as this yeah. uh, quiet tension, mm. almost kissing him, giving her an extra coat and not buttoning it up properly, but he's also buttoning it down. So it's it's like he's undressing her, but he's actually dressing her. It was so cleverly done that way that you can you could feel the electricity just pinging at you. From the screen, it was it was a it was a great great scene, and it just kind of like you know, 
um, it was a stepping stone for for what would come um, for them going forward. But yeah, blue, beautifully shot. I thought, um, yeah, it was great. I mean, that's where you realize, oh, uh, if you didn't before, that there certainly are um, is evidence of it working before. But when you watch that, yeah, this works. But yeah, now now it's uh, a physical interaction, physical chemistry as well, and it works. Uh, works beautifully uh this uh this little i i I can just imagine it can be like a little choreographed lean-ins and tilting of heads you know to possibly kiss each other just beautifully staged and 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 by that point that they sort of find a groove with each other again like they don't commit to a relationship but they find a groove with each other in terms of being comfortable around each other and uh, because they're they've shared their bodies obviously so maggie's walking around in a bra and leon is walking around in swim trunks as underwear yeah (laughs) and then in finding time i'm just going for a swim uh and pepper <laughs> yeah it's one of those uh, well they, they you know they, they they've seen it all and done it so uh, why not be that uh comfortable uh with each other uh, you know did it ever turn too pitch black for you because if we fast forward a bit there is a quickly mentioned but obviously a local audience would probably remember that uh, there was a stock market crash at one point and her her finances go down the toilet and she has to take a job at a massage parlor which might mean doing the dirty deed or just doing a massage uh, maggie has been in a couple of these uh, um, hostesses films uh, moonstar and sun girls without tomorrow so she's been like this hostess or prostitutes in in uh, rather standard dramatic movies uh, before but uh, did, did, did it ever turn to pitch black for you as she engages in this work meets eric Tsang and all of that or it was one of those nice dramatic beats actually that changed the course of it because you know it is an epic story so you're going to get these branching out and stuff and it, it drives a, a tale and a and not a, a, from a good ending point of view, but he drives another facet of her life and how things, you know, changes stuff from from that period to this because, you know, she the choices she made took her on a certain path, and that was her choice that she made. So it didn't bother me at all that that's what it was. It's just, you know, you saw a woman that was desperate. She she was going there to try and make money. That's what she did. She needed to make all that money back again. So for her, then the only thing she could do was this. So you just went along with the story. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a dramatic you know, change of, you know, um, focus or storyline. Because or, those movies really go for it in terms of the juggler or, or, or the tragedy of these uh, girls doing this work. Which Peter Chan clearly isn't here. Uh, in 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 those movies, Girls Without Tomorrow, Moonstar, and Sun, someone death or dies at mm. one point, and uh, it's going to be a lot of crying. So um, I, it's kept mild here, and and uh, it seems like Leon's finances didn't go down the toilet because it, he was a bit more careful with how he spent and how he saved while she she had her, her you know she she spent uh, she she did she 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 does express wanting to save to buy a house for for her mother, but she's a little bit more. Um, somewhat more careless i suppose um, and she meets eric sang who's uh who's this um uh, tribe boss uh, that um has a little bit of a heart of gold he, he uh, thinks that uh, adding a little bit of a tattoo on top of his uh, already established tattoos um is okay because um he, he's the big boss and um, that's how it charms uh, maggie so um uh, who knows if they had the rights to use the little mouse that they um use here but hey did anyway as they do i quite like that though you got this tough well eric saying and stuff bless they got this tough kind of gangster with all these you know these, these triad tattoos and then they put the little tattoo of the mouse on there and then all mickey 
yeah, it's still on the Blu-ray. They haven't caught it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> okay. But but yeah, Peter does a really miss a beat. There's some uh, the, the the actor interactions like extends to scenes when Leon Lai's character, who who is at this point in the eighties, a few years into the story, not that self-aware of the signals he's giving to his devotion to girlfriend back home and his devotion to his friend who he slept with in Hong Kong. So there there is that great scene where he he thinks it's uh, okay and this is just men being stupid and, and i'm one of them i'm completely i'm an idiot i would do this uh he he's, he does the he thinks he's doing good by buying the same bracelet for two women in his life i like i, I like those beats that he, he he doesn't know and how that uh, affects and that hurts and uh, how that creates uh, discomfort and and this further great discomfort in the wedding scene that happens later you know the scene where they take the photo and, and they play the discomfort so well without overplaying it. You know what I mean? Like you, you can see that Maggie is uh, is not happy to be in that photo at all. And Leon probably is is devoted to his girl. He's gonna get married, but there is the almost a love story part part of that f- photo. Present. Yeah, and you can see, it. and that's that's like testament to the to the actors you go that portrays that because you feel that that's that's what you're gonna get, and that's what they deliver, and that's what I said about. You know, stand up and being counted and stuff. We talked about, you know, Leon. This is a definitive moment in the series for me and stuff where we're talking, you know, the second film where we're saying what a great actor he is because he portrays that and you get that from both of them. And both of them have to, you can't have one person portraying and not the other one. They both, there's kind of that unease and stuff and you can see it. And that's what great acting is all about and stuff. And that's a perfect example of, you know, why Leon, we know how great Maggie is, but, you know, why Leon needs applauds as well and stuff because he plays it so well against her. And then th- that that carries on throughout the movie in, you know, various different facets. But, yeah, it's fantastic. Thankfully, none of the jumps are very confusing because we do quite, uh, uh, we do flash forwards. Uh, yeah, yeah, yes, they're all like, now it's 1989 or whatever on screen, but there are some, Peter isn't that concerned with, establishing because we we know pretty well where yeah this is the time where he finally could have his uh, girlfriend come to hong kong and marry him so we understand that and then uh, maggie engaging this in the relationship with eric Tsang's uh, character and uh, then she's a con- company boss of some kind it might have to do something with um, architecture and leon and maggie meet uh, meet there as well and like he lines up these like highlight real like static shots over and over for me they uh, again on the theme of discomfort when maggie and leon are talking about you know how you doing and they're they're munching on these like uh, <laughs> uh, mini mini hot dog snacks which yeah, sounds funny yeah. but it speaks to that like we we know exactly what we feel about each other like years haven't faded these feelings and Obviously, leads to the scene in the in the car where Maggie is looking at Leon and then bumps her head on the steering wheel, and uh, you, you can see little quivers in her lips as yeah. well. And uh, she's—it's uh, marvelous without overdoing it. It only sounds like it's overdone melodramatic stuff when you sort of speak of oh, her lips are quivering and she looks uncomfortable. Uncomfortable, but Peter really keeps it on the down low. But clarity is there one hundred percent as well. Like it's this little magic trick that um, makes the movie very meaningful for me. It's the portrayal of emotions without words, uh, which is very difficult, which, you know, we've just, we've just talked about and stuff. And, it, you know, it takes, you know, Maggie, it's is, is fantastic at doing that. And, you know, Leon almost matches her in this and needs to, because, it, like I say, 
the dramatic beats are there, and sometimes you don't need the words to do those. You just need the the look, and and they do that. And that, like I say, those beats in those movies are, f- are fabulous to watch. You know, he's never been this amidst the heavenly kings. You know, the other singers and 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 Andy Lau, Jackie Chung, Aaron Kwok. I, I think Leon has uh, roles like this has aided him a little bit better because he, to me, sounds dumb, but. The hunk factor amidst the Heavenly Kings doesn't extend to Leon. He looks a little bit more ordinary to me. Andy and Jackie and Aaron, they are you know, prime specimens. <laughs> and Leon is a little <laughs> bit ordinary looking to me. So that that suits roles like this. Uh, uh, um, I think Peter probably saw something akin to that. I see, okay, I know how to use him. You know, I, 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 I've seen him. seen him in shows. I've seen him in movies. I think I can find a, a place for him in, in this epic drama, you know. Some final notes. Uh, it's not a thoroughly like it's a heartfelt film, touching at points, but it doesn't like poke you with "cry now, cry bitch, cry, cry <laughs> now" because we got melodrama to do. But uh, the the scene where that really got me that, and I remember it from before. Mild spoiler, but not uh, before Eric Sang's character departs Hong Kong. There is a and and it seems like they've engaged in a relationship him and Maggie Chung, despite the dangers that looms around his life. You know, he, he picks up the phone in the middle of the night and I chop them up. You know, he, <laughs> he is that kind of boss, you know. But he's perceptive, Phil, and uh, he has seen that she is, uh, you know, she's bottling up emotions for someone else. And at one point, she meets him at uh, the boat that's going to depart for. For somewhere, you know, it's not the boat to America at this point. It's uh, you know, to Macau or Taiwan, or whatever. And he he says to her, you know, you have to live your life, and you need to love someone else. And she immediately embraces him, like it's the weight that's lifted from her chest to hear him say, "It's okay." You know, we might have a relationship, and they actually continue it in a way. But he isn't a tyrant, and he sees that. Uh, her mind uh, is sometime elsewhere. And I think that's a lovely moment because as soon as that word drops, she just immediately embraces him and his warmth comes through. So he isn't this uh, shouty triad boss that, you know, I've got a woman, I've got a mistress. Lovely stuff. And uh, that's where Eric sort of earns his stripes as a dramatic actor. And, um, uh, and, and he won an award for this film as well. So that was when the, the Waterworks uh, did its thing. And it's not, you know manipulative you know what i mean like nothing here is manipulative and hong kong melodramas certainly know how to be manipulative therefore they can fall flat on their face when doing so like i, I don't feel anything like uh, the movie sounds like i'm gonna feel like, like we're supposed to feel something nah nada but here he owns <laughs> that so i love that i i like it and stuff but you know as we all know i've got a heart stone so you know nothing gets through that um there's probably two films that ever made me cry but we can go into that at a later date I get it and stuff. Actually, it's kind of nice and stuff because he kind of consoles her. But he actually says underneath, well, you know, I've got, you know, many wives in Taiwan and, got, <laughs> you know, again, well, you know, it's fair enough. Life You've got tried. one. I've got all these just to, just to, just to round the point out. But it is a, it is a very nice touch and underlying that obviously, you know, he does, you know, care for her and he cares about, you know, her feelings and stuff. And it just like floats away the scene, them hugging and stuff, which is embracing on that ship. And obviously the scene, Go so uh, one of them again. It's a great scene because it flicks back to Leon as well, and you you, you know standing at the, I think he's standing at the pier, isn't he, um, watching them. Um, so it floats back to that. So it's very poignant in in what it what it portrays. And again, 
you know, you've got the, the lashing rain and all that. So it's fantastic to watch. It's one of those things you just have to watch. You can't really describe it. Just go go watch it. We, we, we should mention that this place, uh, this movie takes place partially in New York as well. And they did location shooting uh, definitely in New York, both in Chinatown. Uh, Maggie is running around Times Square, I believe, at one point. So... Uh, and and we won't say much about this section because it it goes towards the end. Obviously, um, we're, we're closer to the end here. But uh, I do like that uh, Maggie and Eric's character. They're, they're they're certainly not settled in New York. They're 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 they hold up. So and she even says uh, when he asks, like, "Oh, this looks like China to me. Everything looks the same to me." She says, "It's a constant um, life of moving. It seems." Um, she carries sadness because of that, because it's it's not working out to be on the run with with a tribe um, in America, you know. So, um, uh, but 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 it's nice to see some some very nice um, uh, sh- shots of uh, New York. A couple of times, extras are looking right into the camera, but uh, or not even extras, just regular people. But but yeah, I always like when uh, movie, uh, Hong Kong movies um, take their act on the road, and they've they've done so to New York previously. And Autumn's Tale springs to mind. But uh, it was uh, it was nice to see uh, it. Um, it uh, and, and obviously the movie conclusion we won't spoil. Uh, other than that, I, I was very satisfied by the end. I didn't need it spelled out to me um, any more than that. It was satisfying that uh, it was a bit inconclusive. Let's just say. Uh, but I don't know what you thought if you wanted more some finality to it all or if it was fine to stop right there. I think it was fine to stop right there. You kind of you, you, you wanted and wished for something. So you got something without spawning it too much. But I do appreciate the final scene that brings it back to the first scene as well, which is uh, I thought was fantastic. A little reprisal about some added stuff we uh, we hadn't seen. Which was uh, I thought was really nice. So it, it just... Because you, you could have been left a bit, that's the end. But actually, they just put a little bit more wrap around on it that made you think a little bit more on it, which brought you back around to the start, which was like kind of fantastic. And that lifted you up somewhat as well. And like I say, without spoiling it, just go and watch it. And that's why I say the, the, the start and the end of, you know, very poignant indeed and stuff, because it wraps it up quite nicely in this nice little bow. So, yeah, in answer, yeah, I, I was satisfied with, you know, the outcome. Very much. Uh, it comes back to that saying that wherever wherever there are Chinese, there is the music of Teresa Tang's. So I think that that's why Peter Chan sort of argues for some uh, coincidences in the script. That, uh, but, but it's a film too, so some flights of fancy are allowed. I don't have anything else to say other than non-spoilery. Uh, speaking of Chris Doyle again, he even gets to do a little emotional beat in the movie, like his final uh, scene where he moves out. From the, the house that uh, where he lives with his uh, Thai uh, girlfriend, you know they leave and um, and uh, the, the emotional beat isn't much. It, it just says uh, uh, that um, she's uh, she's ill, and uh, he kind of shrugs his shoulders because presumably he's ill as well. Works for me, man. It it it, it should be ordinary. So sometimes it doesn't need to be a movie moment, and uh, it was cool. That uh, Chris Doll, Chris Doll, whoever drank uh, on of his ass or not, uh, did uh, did well in that bit. <laughs> he did well, maybe. Gen- maybe genius man. Yeah, ha- yeah. Have you ever seen Ocean Heaven, the Jet Li drama? He-, he filmed that as well. No, because... I didn't. No, I've never seen it actually. Yeah. So uh, his um, his eye has not uh, been uh, not deteriorated, if uh, despite indulgences in his life. So what a genius! Uh, so uh, classic uh, Hong Kong cinema. That's for sure, and uh, a full, full lie from us both. 
Yeah, full lie indeed. Yes, indeed. Fantastic. Yeah, it's a fantastic film. If you've not seen it like I hadn't, oh, naughty, naughty me, you should go and grab yourself a copy and watch it end to end and tell us how much you loved it. It isn't uh, this uh, strangely uh, tonally wild Hong Kong film either, so uh, that's why it's, you know, you you can sit anyone uh, down in front of this. as for availability then, it was available for many years on Maya DVD from a cinema print. That's how I saw it, uh, which was fine. Uh, but it has since been issued on Blu-ray in Korea, Taiwan and Hong Kong. It's a Warner Brothers uh, Blu-ray. It's not a cheap edition to import, uh, but the point is it's available. It's actually hella expensive, uh, but um, it, it is what it is. It's also bare bonus, unfortunately, so there's no retrospective anything, which is uh, kind of a shame. But uh, at least we had that article with uh, where Peter... Uh, talked a little bit about the uh, casting and uh, and whatnot, so maybe that will change um, in the future. But uh, it was a little bit shame to see that there wasn't at least uh, a filmed filmed interview thing. I'm not I'm not expecting Leon to sit there and do a commentary with uh, Peter Chan, but a little bit filmed retrospective interview piece would have been nice. Yes, it would have been it's, because it it is a uh, meaningful classic film. Okie dokie, we're going to take a music break, um, and uh, after that we flash forward to 2004 five and uh, the writers of infernal affairs um, saw something in leon as well so they cast him as a mentally challenged man who becomes a korean gigolo in tokyo <laughs> <laughs> no we didn't say that one folks that's exactly what it is stay tuned <laughs> that film is 2000 2005's moonlight in tokyo from directors alan mack and felix chong so we'll be right back after some uh, some uh, groovy uh, music from moonlight in tokyo And welcome back. Second movie of this episode. Uh, second Leon Lie movie. After a big, big lie. Big ups to lie. We head to 2005's Moonlight in Tokyo. And plot from Letterboxd. Intellectually impaired he might be. Jun, played by Leon Lai, may be dumb, but not silly. Abandoned by his family on a trip to Tokyo with only a few notes in his pocket, he thinks he has found his guardian angel when he bumps into a former classmate, uh, the character of Hoi, played by Chapman Toe. But Hoi is no angel at all, he is just a grifter on the run from Yakuza loan sharks. When uh, Jan, the owner of an escort service, is convinced, is convinced the ingenious Jun will make a perfect gigolo, Hoi decides to transform his pal into Tokyo's most sought of the Lothario in order to eke out a living and to pay his debts. Waka waka! Or is it? <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, the movie is, um, does several things, not just uh, comedic things. Uh, this uh, quirky number was helmed by Alan Mack and Felix Chong, both uh, acclaimed, as uh, Mack was the co-director and co-writer of the Infernal Affairs films, and Felix uh, Chong was his uh, writing partner on those uh, Mac uh, came up as an assistant director throughout the 90s on uh, films such as The Wicked City, so he's uh, seen Leon in action. Uh, the Beffert Kid, 
Big Bullet and made his uh, feature debut as director with the thriller Nude Fear. Uh, I wrote in uh, my review that uh, it's it's a quickly produced film, it looks like, with some thriller horror touches. Uh, but the actual talent, talent would be demonstrated in the films to follow from Alan Mack, such as in the crime film A War Named Desire from 2000. And Love HK film said of that film, quote, an engrossing crime thriller with dynamite performances by Francis M and Jiggy Leung. And eventually he helped reinvigorate Hong Kong cinema with Infernal Affairs as co-director with Andrew Lau. And that film was the big winner at the Hong Kong Film Awards, as we mentioned before when talking free. It won Best Picture, Director, Screenplay, among other things. And Mac and Chong completed the trilogy as co-director and writer, so it was the same team through and through. They moved on to the manga adaptation of the Street Racing series Initial D. I think I lasted about 20 minutes before I realized that film is not for me. These cars going rum 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 and uh, Jay Chow looking bored out of his mind. Nope, we're not doing this today, uh, nor ever. I didn't uh, go back to Initial D. <laughs> Do you remember sitting down with that? Did, did you have an interest in that at all? Mm-hmm. I did just because yeah, I did because it was, uh, but it was forgotten very quickly. To be fair, sometimes I like uh, vehicle action, uh, but really it just looked glossy and overproduced and cool. And it might play very well with those who liked uh, the manga. I don't know, but uh, it really wasn't for me. Uh, despite the veteran players being there, Anthony Wong and uh, I believe uh, Kenny B is in the film as well. But no, didn't go back to it. Don't plan on doing so again unless someone says, do it for work and then I'm stuck. <laughs> then I have to do it. Anyway, then they moved on to 2005 Moonlight in uh, Tokyo where they were a directing pair. So uh, they they um, took on that job as well. This carried over Felix uh, uh, Chong and Alan Mack uh, being a co-directors on 2008's Lady Cop and Papa Crook. They also headed the Overheard trilogy. Yeah, I believe they're all unconnected. I've seen the first two, and they they, they share cast, but not uh, not story. Uh, Felix Chong helmed Once a Gangster, starring Ikin Cheng by himself, as well as Project uh, Gutenberg, starring Chai Yun Fat and uh, Aaron Kwok, uh, uh, which was the Best Picture winner, I believe, at the Hong Kong Film Awards. Uh, going back to Moonlight in Tokyo, it made about 9.5 million Hong Kong dollars at the box office, placing it just outside the top 10 in a year where that uh, duo were involved uh, with uh, the top earner, which was again Initial D, that made uh, 37 million Hong Kong dollars at the box office. Movies such as Wait Till You're Older, the the film where Andy Lau, uh, uh, he's a kid in a grown man's body kind of thing. I don't remember too much from it, but uh, but yeah. Uh, and uh, movies such as The Myth, Jackie Chan's The Myth, and Election were also part of the top 10 that year. Random, random question. The Myth, good or bad? Underrated? Overrated? Meh? Good. It's good. That's that's it. I've only got good for it. I think it was good. It might be over long from my point of view, but yeah, it was it was it was okay. Yeah, I never never bothered with it, but maybe in retrospect, it's a way better than what comes out from Jackie Chan these days. Who knows? But uh, Moonlight in Tokyo had one nomination at the Hong Kong Film Award: Best New Artist, going to actress Michelle Yeoh playing uh, Chapman Toh's um, ex-wife, I believe. So she's in a couple of scenes. Uh, so. And uh, that year, when Moonlight in Tokyo was uh, released, uh, Johnny Toe's election was named Best Film at the Hong Kong Film Awards. So, um, been quite a while these years move uh, fast, but uh, that was um, that was that year. So, let's do some short opinions of Moonlight in Tokyo. Uh, I, I don't know if it was divisive or remains divisive. I don't 
don't know how many of my acquaintances online or whatever watched it, but regardless, um, uh, how many watched it? Uh, Alan Mack and Felix Chong are kind of hellbent on taking us on a ride of different tones and moods and visuals and visual quirks and ballet set pieces, but they stick with their beliefs, which results in a funny, gentle, quirky body comedy that has plenty of heart it has plenty of everything really yeah and also it's a fine pair of pair up uh, of leon lai and chapman so i think they work very well together so i like it very much but it's a lot so uh, is that a good or bad thing that it's a lot <laughs> to uh, yeah i agree so you know this episode and i think um this episode brought to you by a lot a lot of things in one <laughs> a lot of things brought to you by a lot of things we agreed on a lot with the the films, but I think we agree on this one. It, it's fantastic as well. It's a three for three on uh, Liam, or two for two with the other one. But um, just goes to prove it's just fantastic. That body pairing just works so well with Chapman Toe. It's fantastic because that's got to hold this whole thing together because it is at heart this kind of you know the bromance, so to speak. And it's fantastic. Are you in general? Do you think receptive to? a wild time like this whether it's Asian cinema or not where it just uh, changes tack and or, or, or can it be a dangerous proposition that a movie is too much for one you thing? You can be. Yeah, if it's not handled right, it can be too much. Yeah, I mean, this could have gone completely the other way. You know, once you've got Andrew, you've got the directors that you've got that are helming it, you're going to get, they're going to know what, they know what they're doing and, and it works but yeah, we could have gone. We could have been disastrously wrong because you know this this could have gone all over the place. But it it doesn't. There is a a genuine feeling for the characters and the story, and and even if it's some of its wackiness. I mean, look, you're talking about a guy who's playing a, a Korean gigolo in in Japan for God's sake. It's um it's nuts. Just the concept was, you know, you put the concepts paper, people, people go, what the hell and stuff. Trust me. This this is a fantastic. And, and what are the duckies about in the DVD menu? Yeah, like, like the ducks about ducks all over the gap. <laughs> ducks about. But yeah, it's fantastic. Exactly. It's just it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. But there's some really strong ways, you know, really strong emotional beat, and it's just fantastic. It just takes it from you know one to another. She's so invested in the characters. It's, it, like I say, it's a wonderful film. It took me off guard because I wasn't expecting it as well. So. It could it could have been uh, self indulgent, of course, uh, yeah, uh, but but it's strange enough uh, it all kind of lands. Uh, uh, even the depiction of um, uh, not mental illness but mental handicaps, which is not Hong Kong strong suit, they they tend to go for the broad, whether in uh, uh, you know actual acclaimed movies like Why Me or Beloved Son of God, where Ken Chang plays this uh, mentally challenged character, or in Red to Kill, where it's they're, they're just a wacky, wildly crazy over the top. There's no real nuance. They're just um, it, it's quite offensive in reality. But I, I do like uh, Red to Kill as an exploitation film. Discussion for another time. But from the beginning, you know, where they bring in the ugly duckling story and uh, the fact that he doesn't seem desirable by his own family the character of june and then it you know they don't wait for uh, for to go full-on theatrical on us as the sets depart in the uh, in the background they, they go into the, uh, the background new sets come into the foreground across the widescreen frame like a theater play and that's the moment where you either you know, grab your audience or people go, are they kidding? What, yeah, is, exactly. what is this? <laughs> because it goes into that, um, he, he, it's obviously a, um, uh, a mind thing where he, uh, 
watches. You know, he's kind of lost in the story of Swan Lake. Yeah, it's um, it's a fantastic opening. You don't see many openings like just the creativity of it. It's more or less like it's somebody telling you a story from a book and they're starting, once upon a time there was this man and any kind of that opens the scene and he opening up this story book to it. It's fantastic the way it's done. I thought it was it did hook me. That's what hooked me from the start. That opening scene and he obviously got Wait, swan. Where's the set going? Get get the set back. <laughs> yeah, get the set where's the set going? Why is there a ballet dad so swan like what's going on? It's, it was fantastic. I was like, okay, this is gonna be more than what I think it's gonna be. And it's so much more. But it's fantastic. It's great that that is practical because it's not a um, green screen swipe, uh, change up and swiping of uh, like uh, taking the set away and putting another set in there. It looks like a practical thing where the actors go way, way, way in the background and into pitch black, and uh, there, there Leon is uh, witnessing, you know, the classical rendition of uh, the, the the music that accompanies Swan Lake, I believe. And uh, I love the transition into the credits and Chinjuko and Tokyo, and it's a remix. You know, it, 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 it's uh, it's one lake with a beat. And here here we get Chapman Toe, you know, at the urban center of it all. And a player, it looks <laughs> like, but, you know, he isn't. Do you remember that uh, he's, I don't know how much you followed him, but I, I followed him enough to realize that he went through this phase of, oh, he's comedic relief. And that's a problem. He wasn't terrible in Infernal Affairs. He's in the third as well. But he clearly, you know, especially when you got to Color of the Truth, which was one of those like Wong Jing, you know, it res- it's a result of Infernal Affairs. That's why this movie exists. And Color of the Truth, that's Ch- Chapman is Wong Jing's boy because he's an absolute nutter in it. He's a clown and it's awful. <laughs> it's awful. He's a stupid ass policeman. And it's just like, uh, let's just play it for commercial uh, co- commercial viability. And it certainly doesn't work, but uh, then I've seen like a transition in Chapman, especially working with uh, Pang Ho Chung in like a Bulgaria or Trivial Matters, to sh- short in that. He mixes the broad and comedic with dramatic a whole lot better. He understands that. And at that point, I, I think uh, my, fo- uh, my sort of coverage of his career is a little bit uh, spotty, but I know he's, uh, he's certainly not the go-to sort of Wong Jin clown anymore and this movie proves that oh he he's got a lot to offer yeah exactly i think you're right and stuff um i think there's a there's definitely an evolution there from a an actor point of view and stuff but yeah and i've never really taken much notice again it's it's another one chapman tells us he's another one actually could do a series on perhaps because it's not someone he's been there in films but i'm not really you know he's he's jumping out for me but in this he's fantastic he just plays it so well uh, do me a favor, pick up the Blu-ray of Bulgaria. It's a Category 3 movie about making Category 3 movies, and it's the funniest shit you've ever seen. But it's also very heartfelt, and he's excellent in it. Uh, it it's uh, from the director of Men Suddenly in Black, and uh, Isabella, and um, those Love in a Puff, Love Off the Cuff uh, films, uh, Pang Ho Chung. Bulgaria is uh, it's just, that, that's where you realize that, oh, Chapman owns his persona very well whether comedic or uh, dramatic yeah. how do you think leon plays uh you know having this uh mental handicap that he has like does he go over the top with it or how how do you see that that's the thing isn't it i mean he he could have done you know it's you're given that and you're given the script and you've got to play that character you can you could you could have taken it and gone wacky with it to a certain extent but he's he's certainly he certainly found what the character is and the heart of the character, and he stuck to that 
and kept that real so you believe in that you believe in him as that character and this you know slightly retarded bless if anything he has a learning disability um he's childlike but not slow he's coherent so they don't uh, make him like yeah play play up the fact that he has a, like a speech impediment or whatever yeah yeah and he sounds out at one point i remember there's a scene where he sounds out you know he's saying i'm not you know i know I, you know i know him this he knows who we are and he owns that you know he knows what he what he is and stuff and he owns it and, he, and it's nice and it's heartfelt and like say he plays it really well and this is what i love about finding uh, characters finding actors like leon and stuff that you hadn't recognized for the the talent that they are you know we got comrades and 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 three going on but you know again this one come out for left field and i didn't know what to expect and again you believe in the character and you needed to you needed to you know and the directors had their trust uh in him to deliver this and he and he certainly did so yeah i think he plays it plays it really well and all of that fits next to quirky visual style and gags uh you know after the after the pickpocketing that like he, he's a tribe member but he has one follower uh hoy <laughs> And uh, so he isn't much of anything, really. And he's uh, deep in debt. And when they're confronted in the alleyway, like the way his follower escapes, he performs a high jump like you would see during a sports competition (laughs) over the (laughs) fence. And it's very funny and uh, throwaway to an extent, but it adds to the sort of palette, the audiovisual palette of the film that I'm very weak for. I thought that was very, very funny. Because yeah, he, there's a wackiness to it is and that, and that's what I said. You could you could you could be seen so wrong, but it, yeah, it works. There is a lot of wackiness to it, but it's set up quite nicely. Uh, right and and I said it right from the beginning, you kind of got that, you know, the way it's set out and stuff. You know you're in for a, a different kind of film and stuff. So therefore you don't mind it and stuff. But yeah, I did like that uh, scene and stuff when he does the uh, uh, the high jump over the fence it was uh, it was cracking it, it's not the um tropiest escape from from peril in these films that's for sure <laughs> uh but 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 i do also like that leon lies june he's kind and outgoing even when he's being robbed uh, which might be you know a negative thing that he does realize that you shouldn't be kind and outgoing and uh, sympathetic and warm but uh, there, there is uh, there, there is a uh, an appeal to that part of the character like even uh, when uh, he uh, picks up uh, i believe it's when uh, chapman toys perhaps uh, dropped off by the yakuza on the street and they, they've um, they've licked him up and uh, leon Lai leans uh, leans towards him and uh, wants to care for him and the the background goes into uh, uh, star patterns because he, uh, he starts singing a lullaby to him yeah because uh it's his old friend it's a major coincidence but it's his old friend so it could have come off as aimless random very annoying stuff but it's very charming that uh that's how they that's how they becomes friends despite uh wong hoi exploiting jun first and then their friends uh, and and it seems like a setup for a wild comedy and it is but it also manages to bring in that that heart to it all and also this free-for-all notion that now we got heart and now we got something else and yeah. uh you know we got the training montage and what to do as a gigolo and leon is so funny as he as he tries to understand he doesn't overplay this either as chapman is uh, describing to him what to do and uh, how to speak uh, a few korean phrases he scrunches up his face like a kid would who doesn't understand and yeah, I think that's very funny. He's he's very warm, and uh, he doesn't overplay that card uh, either. And uh, and of course, uh, 
because they're training him to be a gigolo, he needs to train um, for the intimate stuff. So they do that on an inflatable doll too. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, it's his training montage, which is fantastic and stuff. Get his hair done, and he's trying to show how to walk properly. And he slaps his hand at one point because he does this stupid walk with his arms flying around. He sticks it in his pocket. It's just there's little bits and stuff that are quite, you know, just just nice. They're they're funny and stuff, and yeah. You're starting to invest in the characters, and then you you kind of feel for it because you know his first his first appointment is Roy Chung, and it's it's Chapman Toe's face when he opens the door, and he's just like Chapman Toe's like mouth open, a gasp, oh my god! Yeah, he didn't expect him to walk into a um, a, a a gay sex scenario yes. for his first. Um... <laughs> encounter which sounds very offensive they they, they don't do uh, they don't linger on this at all to be honest uh, so, uh, it's just uh, he's there door closes and Chapman Toe is uh, is not chuffed about the client that uh, that they got but but the movie holds danger the world holds danger these Yakuza characters seem quirky and uh, goofy and harmless they certainly are not we have a Japanese actor here called, called Nitanda Masazumi who plays Kano and, and I think around this point where they established, uh, especially after he's become a gigolo and they get that groove going, I, I, think, to, I think to me the movie had uh, earned or proven that it's uh, it's got a handle on these different uh, visual journeys and gags and drama that it flings us between. Uh, sometimes really quickly, sometimes it lingers on a few uh, on sweetness and touching stuff. But somehow it becomes a coherent sort of whole, and we realize that the friendship is building, and uh, the, it's not a an abusive friendship. You mentioned that he slaps him, uh, you know, to correct him. And one of my favorite scenes is that again he is mentally challenged. He's mentally handicapped. He doesn't understand all things. So uh, he has sort of uh, analyzed what is going on here, the, the money exchange for uh, for love. He's kind of a comforting gigolo. That's why the, the girls like him. Uh, so in his head, in June's head, he's thought to himself, well, I like my mother. Can I buy her with money? Yeah. He, he asks this like sincerely. And for once, Chapman Toe doesn't beat him. He ruffles his head. Because he realizes the kid is sweet, mm. uh, that he wants to buy the client he likes the most. Uh, he, he wants to uh, give money to uh, his. Uh, well, 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 that's what he does. The client he likes the most the, in a latter scene, he does give her money because he doesn't understand the connection between money and happiness. That that isn't uh, the key to make someone happy, to give them money in return. And uh, that's where Leon is at his strongest because he's working like he's doing non-verbal stuff here. He's working with his face. He when he's at fault, when he ponders the lessons that he's supposed to learn from this and scrunches his face and he's sad when he doesn't understand. He sits down like a kid, you know, uh, crouching down like crouches down like a kid who doesn't understand and he's you know, he, he and he never does. They're like, I'm so stupid. I'm so stupid. I'm so stupid. Like they, they don't um, go there to those over the top places. And that's when the movie really starts to argue. Like, oh, we're gonna make you feel stuff as well. Like, hold on to your seats. And <laughs> it had every opportunity to not work. But uh, mm-hmm. going into the, fi- the 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 more heartfelt stuff, the more sad stuff, uh, did did it become even better for you when, when they started doing that? 
it it was fantastic. I, you know, I've got I've got a whole lot of love for this movie now. Um, I I love movies that take a dramatic turn or twist or or mix up a genre. I think it's brave of people to do it. You don't see it very often because people don't like it and it's not commercially probably sound and stuff. Um, but I think it's fantastic because as uh, telling a story and then all of a sudden you twist that or you put a twist in the towel or a sting in the towel, whatever it might be and stuff, makes for brilliant viewing uh, and in this case it just made the film stronger for me it was fantastic yeah for once they stick to these um emotional beats a little bit longer uh, around the midpoint uh, they, they commit to this a little bit longer you know you, you know you know if you remember the the heartbreaking story of leon telling him that uh, the family baby uh they uh took the sort of baby away from him to make sure he didn't pick up the the family baby because they were were afraid what he was going to do with it and i thought that was so telling how hurt he was because he was aware of the fact that i'm i i'm fairly sure that i don't have that as a crazy impulse in my mental condition so i was very sad that I, even my family didn't trust me with that uh so that's that's good stuff for for leon not over the top top melodrama and uh this quick free-for-all tone is not over, but there is a fa- foundation of uh, friendship and uh, some emotional beats. And then, then it's so highly entertaining to see the moods switch into gags. Uh, and they, they secretly film at one point Kano's wife um, with a hidden camera in a handbag. And it's a very quick sequence that where, where that happens really quickly. We see photos printed in the paper. We cut to Chapman Toe. The, the woman that helps uh, helped set Leon up as a gigolo and they sit there laughing together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like boom, 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 like from one thing to another. And um, I, I found that so totally irresistible. It might be very divisive still, uh, but I think it earns all of its sort of flans, uh, flights of fancy. You know, even as uh, I, I won't spoil the ending, but, but, I'm, but, but one of my final points I wanted to say, I, I fought fairly long hard about this. Uh, the, the way the movie ends is certainly not uh, conventional either, probably not very fair. But I thought mm-hmm. like if uh, if you as a viewer, if you were on board of, with all the flights of fancy before this, uh, it's kind of your duty to be on board with how unfair the conclusion is as well like why tap out then it's a hard it, 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 it's a hard choice yeah if you've been on board from the beginning i don't think there's a reason to tap out then however hard it is to accept how it concludes and that's uh, all i'm gonna say so without spoiling it there uh, was it difficult to sort of get on board with um, how it uh, concluded after it's been joyful and sad and funny and a little bit sad again or, or you you just went with that choice too i went with it i went with it like i say you could have you could have taken a very you know you could have been disappointed by it to a certain extent or upset well upset by it or Lots of different emotions, but that's what a film was supposed to do, and it was fantastic that it gave you that and stuff for for, for its dramatic um, ending, um, so to speak. It was uh, it was unexpected. You, you you probably knew they weren't going to go conventional on you, but yeah, it, and they weren't going to go conventional. But he was he was brilliantly executed, and you see, and, and you know because there's so much to it, and that's why it's a fantastic film, and people should watch it without spoiling it, because that ending is just, uh, I thought, was was perfect in a, in a strange kind of way, and it worked so well with the entirety of the film and, and what it was anyway. 
um, to give it that that punch was uh, was fantastic and testament to it. And that's why I love Hong Kong films. Yeah, operatic, um, literally. Um, that um, that 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 much we can uh, say. A Hong Kong film that uh, divides its time between uh, Japan and Hong Kong. That's for sure. Uh, a lot of location shooting. I, I saw, for instance, like a, a scene in a park had this uh, superimposed uh, tower in the background. So to uh, that you would see in Tokyo, right? Uh, this red tower. So, so I think they're cheating, uh, cheating in that way, and um, and, and mixed up their shoots, um, uh, uh, exterior shoots. But uh, a lot of things are defo in um, in Japan. Even I could spot that. So, so uh, Hong Kong films on the road again. So. Again, yeah. We mentioned that before and stuff. I think it's you make a good point. I think Hong Kong films on the road. Sounds like a service to me, Ken. I think I think there's some legs in that one. As long as I don't need to go anywhere, I'll do it. Yeah, you don't. I'm, I'm not. That. I'm not going on the road. Hong Kong films on the road, where we stay at home and tell you about people going on the road. Goddamn right. Um, yeah, but um, you're right. They are they are fascinating. I think as well because it just brings an added dimension and, and that cultural clash. I mean, it's another one that fits in that category, which is uh, is great to see. I mean, it's not the same as going on the road, but Leon has done actually a Korean film as well. Uh, I'm not planning to cover it. I believe it was not very uh, well received. Uh, there's a movie called Dream of a Warrior or something like that. So it might be an action piece, sci-fi piece from around this time. But Leon uh, did appear in that. So he went uh, he went to Korea to, to do a film. Whether he uh, plays a Chinese character or not, I don't know. But uh, I believe it's a, uh, one of those... Uh, uh, many movies that came out of South Korea during that new wave and one of them that uh, was kind of slammed. I think it wasn't uh, this long-lasting uh, uh, commercial spectacle or anything. So yeah, they couldn't get Andy, they couldn't get Aaron, they couldn't get Jackie, so what did Korea <laughs> Korea producers have to uh, to deal with? Well, we got Leon. <laughs> <laughs> we got Leon, you can have him. The guy from Comrades, well, sure. So they did. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so uh, that's that's I think that's all there is to say. It was a, a lovely, uh, rewarding watch once again, and uh, I, I think you're gonna spot early on if uh, this uh, onslaught, visual assault, visual uh, audio visual assault rather is for you or not. But if you're with it 40, 50, 60 minutes in, then um, th- then you're probably receptive. Uh, to uh, to uh, sort of uh, uh, highs and lows of uh, e- emotions and um, comedic beats and uh, and even uh, how it ends. So I hope anyway because uh, th- this was uh, this was fun to uh, to go back to. Um, so anything else you want to say? No, no, uh, it, fantastic! I was so excited to do this episode for for all the excitement over the films and Leon really knocked it out of the park for me um and the films were a fantastic uh, mixture of everything so um nothing more to say on uh, moonlight in tokyo but you know go go find a copy grab it and watch it it's fantastic and it's fairly easy to get it actually for for once uh, if a hong kong dvd is out of stock i didn't spot any blu-ray ratio uh, presumably it's out of print as new but there were plenty of affordable dvd options on ebay whether from hong kong or not so uh, no one is price jacking moonlight in tokyo as of yet so uh, go check that out and uh, grab yourself uh, an affordable copy on dvd and yes dvds are still okay so <laughs> don't don't fear 480p or whatever so <laughs> Uh, so yeah, we have one more Leon Lai episode to go. Hopefully we can get hold of 
all three movies that are scheduled. Uh, two def- definitely. Um, 18 Springs, the drama he did for Anhoi, also starring Anita Moy. Bodyguards and Assassins, certainly out there. Certainly in Phil's collection already, not in mine. And uh, l- let's hope uh, that there is a home video version of sorts of the film Leon Lai directed uh, called Wine Wars. I've seen the trailer for it. It looks like a gunplay film. Uh, partially it might be a quirky piece, who knows. But and it might be an absolute horror show. But uh, <laughs> it is a film he directed and I'd like to take uh, during these series of shows the chance to look at a performer that also directs to see if if there's anything there like uh, during the michael wong scene we um series we concluded that were during his film that he directed miles apart there was certainly no promise there uh, so you know we're, we're not uh, that married to the fandom of uh of someone no if they do bad they do bad but uh sometimes with the with the mainland chinese films um I've had examples here and there where there was not even a home video version available, not at least not English friendly. So it seems like on in some movies cases that it isn't a given that it gets a DVD or Blu-ray release anywhere, at least not English friendly. So it's up in the air whether we can find Wine Wars, but we can certainly pad out the finale episode with a third film that's certainly no problem but the uh, bodyguards and assassins i know is in if he's in it for more than five or ten minutes i don't know but uh, i know he's in it he plays a beggar i think i've seen shots of uh, him in uh, tattered clothes and what have you so uh, uh so um but i but i haven't seen it i only know that it had uh, trouble getting to the screen there's a documentary attached to it called development hell so uh, director teddy chan um, didn't have a smooth time getting this to the screen so there might be a story to examine uh, behind its um, journey to the screen bodyguards and assassins uh okay okay we are done for this uh, episode of uh, lie or buy so uh, both films th- thumbs up so he's uh, he's doing well in the standings and we'll uh, we'll uh, conclude the standings during next uh, episode but uh, for all your podcast on fire network needs go to podcastonfire.com Check out the shows in the archive over there. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and uh, stream us on Stitcher Radio and uh, Spotify and uh, all that good stuff. So uh, I'm going to hand over to Phil to plug whatever he likes. He talks of, he talked of his, um, his uh, video series, but is there anything uh, surrounding Eastern film fans that you want to plug? Uh, if if not that, if you, if you funnily enough, you should mention that if you pop on the um, YouTube channel, I think you'll find a certain Mr. Scott Adkins was interviewed by my own uh, Jamie McDonald, bless him, um, for Accident Man Hitman's Holiday, which by the way I thoroughly recommend it. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, not just the interview, but obviously the film itself was uh, was brilliant. I also um, I got to uh, speak to the directors of that movie as well, the Kirby Brothers. I think they are on the up. They were fantastic. We talk of everything, including their desire to do a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Yeah, you read it first. Go and check it out on the YouTube channel now. And, um, yeah, if anybody gets a chance to see Rupture with Mark Strange as well, I hosted an evening with the cast and crew. Yes, I get about these places in Birmingham, of all places, and Rupture should be out. So go and check that out. It's a fantastic martial arts action dystopian set future world joint, and it's uh, brilliant. So, yeah, uh, and that's it for me. Excellent. Well, uh, thank you, Phil. And uh, we shall be back for the conclusion of the Leon Lai episode. And what we will do series like 
this in the future on the theme of like let's examine if they're good or bad or just simply examine an actor or actress we love anyway we'll see we've been talking of like why why let's do a limited thing on uh you know, a Michelle Yeoh series, but it doesn't need to be nine films or doesn't need to be. She's bad, she's good. Just um, should do one for the ladies, Ken. There's one, 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 one for the men for the, with the ladies. Yeah, we should. I like all the ladies in Hong Kong. Cinema, yes, so. it does. <laughs> I do. Maybe we should, maybe we should, yeah, somebody, somebody. But yeah, give us a shout out, folks. Come on, we, we need to, the ladies give a shout out, you know. There was some fantastic careers, you know, Michelle Yeoh, yeah, springs to mind and stuff. Flavor of the month, why not? But Okay, okay, we are done for this episode. Thank you for listening. I uh, hope you uh, uh, get a chance to watch Comrades and uh, Moonlight in Tokyo. So, uh, see you later. Thank you. This is, has been Kennedy, and uh, with me was uh, Phil G of uh, Birmingham Film Events and what have you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stay safe and be well, folks. Catch you soon.